Hello everyone, my name is Max Kituba and I'd like to welcome you to another week on the SME Empower podcast where we are on a mission to empower entrepreneurs to create a world of impact. Why? Because we believe that your success matters not only for yourself and your family but also for your community and the world at large. So we are very happy to have you because we are committed to giving you the information you need to become the best entrepreneur you can be. Thank you and welcome to another great episode. Three, two, one, and we're live. Hello everyone and welcome to the SME Empower podcast. I am your host, Max Ketuba, and I'd like to officially welcome Jansen Durham, the co-founder of Fixer into Brackets Rwanda, where he and his team are making a difference in Africa's informal workforce by connecting the youth with stable jobs. So welcome to the show. We're very happy to have you. Max, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be connected and, and thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem, no problem. Uh, so just so that we can get started, um, to be honest, uh, we've uh, had a conversation before and something that fascinated me about your journey was um, I have a lot of really smart African friends, myself included, hopefully, who are literally clamoring for that H-1B visa that allows them to legally work in the States. But then you, on the other hand, are a U.S. national who's now based in Rwanda, co-founding a startup that's aiming to solve a huge African problem. So needless to say, that's already quite the elevator pitch for an award-winning story. So do you mind sharing a little bit of your story and some of the experiences that led you to where you are today? Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, really appreciate the, uh, the introduction. Um, but, uh, yeah, to give you a little background on myself, my name is Jansen Durham. I'm originally from the United States and, uh, you know, Baltimore, Maryland, to be more exact. I, uh, you know, grew up an athlete. So, you know, sports was a large part of my early childhood. Um, and that also afforded me an opportunity to play, uh, athletics in, at, you know, liberal arts institution in Western Massachusetts by the name of Williams College where I was actually a history major. Um, and so, you know, a good question is what, what can you actually do with a history major? Um, and I'm actually still trying to figure that out to this day. But, uh, you know, fortunately, um, you know, my university was fairly prestigious and I had the opportunity to uh, get exposed to a lot of different internships and, and opportunities to really learn, you know, what I don't like um, and, and what I do like. Um, so throughout, um, you know, my summers, I used to intern um, at, at different, you know, professional uh, firms, you know, including, you know, professional sports, management consulting, investment banking, venture capital, uh, real estate, private equity. But I would say, you know, one, you know, experience that had a profound impact on me and my trajectory going forward was uh, some time spent living and working abroad in South Africa. So while I was there, uh, I had the opportunity to actually intern at a financial technology company by the name of Yoko, which is a payments provider uh, in South Africa that helps uh, MSMEs uh, accept credit card payments. So during my internship there, it was really my first experience, obviously working uh, in a startup, working on the African continent. Um, and, and that really, you know, opened my eyes up to the impact that technology can have in emerging markets, you know, specifically in Africa, but also the impact um, that I could, you know, tangibly see. Um, and, and it was really inspiring. 
um, in terms of the atmosphere that I was around, in terms of, you know, what I was learning, um, as well as how fast I, I was growing and developing, you know, so that experience, you know, really left, you know, a very profound impact on me and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, my thinking around, you know, what I really wanted to do and, and where I wanted to be. Um, and so, you know, after coming back to the States, you know, I really started thinking about how I could, you know, build technology or, you know, create some sort of impact on the African continent as well. And I was able to be connected with some like-minded entrepreneurs and individuals at Williams uh, who both hailed from the African continent and were also passionate about, you know, creating some sort of change. Um, so we started ideating, you know, around, you know, what we could essentially build and, and what that could mean for us going forward. Um, and while we were doing that, I, I graduated and I actually went to go on and work uh, on Wall Street for Barclays Investment Bank, uh, where I was actually uh, an analyst for a group, a new group called Sustainable Investment Banking, whereby we were helping ESG-focused companies uh, with regards to capital fundraising. After about a year of doing that, you know, I kind of realized that I wanted to, you know, be a little bit more hands-on and have more of an impact. So, uh, you know, of course, you know, still uh, ideating and creating some solutions, you know, with with my friends, we decided to to move out to Rwanda. Uh, full time to kind of pursue uh, this idea that we had in our heads of, of what Fixa was. Uh, and funny enough, originally our idea was around connecting homeowners to uh, individual service providers through a mobile application. So essentially, if you needed an electrician, a plumber, you would essentially be able to utilize the application to order these services to your home. But after some time of being here on the ground, I kind of realized that, you know, the market wasn't necessarily as mature or ready for this type of product. And, you know, our, our thesis was really around, you know, how can we provide stable, decent job opportunity to youth across Africa? Um, when thinking about, you know, how uh, young the population is and how fast the population is growing, I think it's very important that we are able to provide stable job opportunities for the youth who are coming into the working age population. And so that led me to then kind of think about, you know, where could we find, you know, these stable and decent jobs. So we started to, you know, drive around the city and see that there were a lot of construction sites um, and a lot of development that was ongoing, right? And this challenge of informality um, and youth, you know, essentially searching for jobs was very apparent, um, especially in the construction industry or just a lot of industries uh, that we came into contact with. So we decided to actually pivot whereby we now are a full suite marketplace that is connecting businesses uh, who are looking for temporary or gig workers to a database of vetted and skilled service providers that we have access to. Uh, so essentially we uh, you know, engage these companies and clients and then connect them on the other side of the equation with uh, this database of providers that we have. So to date we've connected over 4,000 workers to 200,000 job opportunities, having dispersed over $1 million uh, to these individuals in their community. Wow, that is a really impressive um, story. Yeah, so just to follow up on that, I've been learning of late about this theory in startups that claims that um, you don't only need a pressing problem to solve, but you also need to have a unique insight or approach into how you solve that problem. So I'm curious as to how you identified the business opportunity within this problem that you identified? Yeah, of course, man. Uh, thanks for asking the question. Uh, I would say for us, you know, we, we definitely wanted to, you know, see 
where some of the larger problems were on the African continent. And one that, you know, really kept raising, um, you know, uh, a lot of red flags for us was, you know, how large the informal economy was in Africa. Um, you know, nearly 83% of employment um, in Africa is informal, you know, almost 90% in sub-Saharan Africa is informal. And so when thinking about, you know, being able to provide, you know, youth with stable and decent job opportunities, you know, that is something a lot of organizations are trying to figure out, right? Uh, the ICC, the ILO, right, the UN, uh, because this is a pressing problem. And, and when thinking about, you know, Africa, um, you know, we have the youngest population in the world, as well as the fastest growing population in the world, you know, this is, you know, a very pressing problem, right? We need to essentially figure out how can we soak in all these new entrants and provide them with stable job opportunities, with decent work opportunities, uh, and professional growth, right, and skills development, you know, that can ultimately lead them and allow them to have access to the formal economy, right, uh, but also have, you know, a, a career trajectory uh, that they're satisfied with, right. Um, so for us, it was really around, you know, where are the pressing problems? And I think, you know, informality was one that was, uh, you know, very large uh, and something that stood out to us. And, and one thing that we wanted to really solve. Now, when it comes to actually solving that problem, right, we talked about, you know, having a unique approach to solving these challenges. You know, I think we've tried to really simplify it. Um, I'm not sure that anybody can necessarily fix it, right? There's no, you know, solution that is, uh, you know, a plug and play, right? It's not as simple as we think, right? Because these are very complex systems that have been in place for you know, a very long time. So it's a matter of, you know, how can we work alongside it, right? How can we figure out a way to bring these individuals into the formal economy? And I think the way in which we're trying to do that is by integrating and inputting technology into these uh, economies. And more specifically, it's really around this idea of digitization, right? So when we think about the challenges that the workers face, a lot of times their job opportunities are offline and localized. These individuals don't have access to say a career identity, a skills resume, um, a CV like you and I do, right? Or even a LinkedIn account. And when we think about these businesses, uh, they use a lot of manual processes, whether tracking these, these uh, employees, whether they're paying them through manual processes as well, uh, cash transactions, or uh, there's just no formal agreement between these businesses and these employees. So for us, it's really around, you know, how can we integrate technology? How can we think about digitizing a lot of these transactions? And specifically speaking for the workforce, how can we create a career identity, right? So for us, it's really around tracking, you know, their skills history, tracking their work history and their earnings history so that they can get access to the formal economy in the form of, say, loans, uh, mortgages, social protection, long-term savings, uh, and other social benefits as well. Wow. So sounds like you guys um, are really onto something here. So how long has FIXA been um, incorporated officially? Yeah, so I, I believe we incorporated in uh, late 2020, uh, but we actually became operational um, in January of 2022. So um, I actually landed here in Kigali uh, in August of 2021, uh, of course, was still iterating, you know, still kind of uh, building some things from a technology standpoint, but we became fully operational in January of 2022. Wow. So um, it's quite impressive what you guys have done, just also because, you know, F Fixer is a relatively young company, but you've made such great headway in pursuing your mission. Um, as you said, you know, 200,000 jobs connected to date. 
So how has the process of building the company from the ground up been so far? And are there any realities to building a business, good or bad, that have surprised you along your journey so far? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, any entrepreneur can attest to, uh, um, you know, the journey not being so smooth as you saw it out to be uh, from the get-go. And I think, you know, being a first-time entre- entrepreneur, Max, there's a lot to learn, right, of, you know, how to hire, you know, how to manage people, right, how to communicate, um, you know, how to pitch to investors, how to raise money. Um, you know, a lot of these things were, you know, new to me. But, you know, of course, um, you know, with the help of having, you know, co-founders, you know, we were able to manage, right? We were able to delegate. We were able to work off of each other's talents and skill sets, which really allowed us, uh, you know, to really think deeply about, you know, what we wanted to work on, what our skill sets were, and how we could contribute, you know, and, and provide some sort of value to, to society. Um, but all to say that, you know, this entrepreneurial journey is, is, is never ending, right, in terms of the learning curve, right, in terms of, you know, the challenges that are thrown your way. And, uh, you know, my favorite line, uh, you know, that, that Drake likes to say is, you know, more money, more problems, right? More <laughs> problems. So, you yeah. know, I think it's safe to say that as you grow, as you scale, and I think every startup, you know, has ambitions, uh, you know, to, to create as much impact as they, you know, possibly can, um, you are going to continuously run into newer and newer challenges. So it's, it's an ever evolving journey of, of just growth and and putting yourself out there um, and, and willing to, to ask questions, willing to, you know, admit when you don't necessarily have the answers and, and just, you know, being as persistent as possible. But, uh, you know, I would truly say that, you know, having co-founders who are, you know, like-minded, uh, you know, who can really support, um, you know, has been, has been, you know, has been everything, quite honestly. Oh, wow. That's actually really insightful. Um, Because we've talked before in this podcast about how founders tend to be evangelical in in their pursuit of their goal, partly because on a purely objective scale, like say money, startups arguably can't compete with larger companies, but uh, you do still have to pursue some of the same resources as those larger companies. And one of the biggest um, resources that you have to compete for is talent. So as you were inspired to take that leap uh, with your co-founders, um, how do you think about attracting talent to your team, keeping them as motivated as you are as a founder and cultivating a culture? Yeah, man, that's, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's something that a lot of startups and founders, uh, you know, have to go through and, and have to kind of figure out for themselves. But I would truly say that you know, for me personally speaking, as well as my co-founder, I think it starts from your own, you know, set of values, right? And your own why, right? Why are we starting this business, right? What do we want the outcome to essentially be? Um, You know, who is our, you know, target customers, right? Why are we doing this for them? I I think, you know, really understanding, you know, those, you know, core, you know, questions will really allow for you to, you know, sift through, you know, some of the BS that, that you definitely will go through, you know, at the earliest stages. But when, in terms of, you know, attracting talent, man, it's really, you know, around, you know, finding like-minded individuals, right, who are passionate, um, who really are interested on, on working on, you know, new and innovative technologies. And I think for us, it's, it's really around, you know, defining what our mission, what our vision, uh, and what our goals are. And then working backwards to, to find like-minded individuals, you know, who have particular skill sets that we're looking for that can help us, you know, get to where we want to go. Uh, you know, I think for us at, at the end of the day, it's, it's really around, you know, finding, 
you know, people who are a lot smarter than us, right, who can come in and, and add value from the very beginning and, and grow. And I think that's what we try to communicate, right? It's not about, you know, what value can fix or extract from XYZ employee versus understanding, you know, where does this person want to go, right? Professionally, personally, spiritually, emotionally, right? It's, it's a growth journey for, for all parties that are engaging. Um, so I think for us, it's really been around, you know, kind of outlining what our core values are, right? What our vision is um, and, and trying to find like-minded people who, who kind of believe in that um, and also want to see uh, and be a part of the change in this world. Wow, um, that's actually a really great answer um, that sheds a lot of light on that. So I'm um, just following up on that. Over the last few podcasts, we have had this um, recurring theme um, of risk uh, with the great founder from the UK, David Chen. Uh, I'm sure you know him, uh, who believes that you should risk um, or take risks intelligently. And a great lawyer from the States who believes that everything worthy in life is at risk from relationships to business. So how do you think about risk in your own life and how do you make um, decisions based on that for your company? Yeah, yeah. And I think those, you know, are great antidotes that, that you just pointed out. And I think, you know, most people who, you know, are entrepreneurial, um, you know, who, who start businesses, you know, are, um, you know, they're risk takers, you know, at heart. And I think, you know, for, for me growing up, um, you know, in the States and, and having, you know, you know, privilege of coming from a two-parent household um, and, and really being supported in a lot of the decisions that, that I made, you know, while I was younger, I think allowed for me to start to understand um, on how to make calculated risk, um, you know, whether it was choosing colleges, uh, whether it was deciding, you know, you know, certain social relationships or, or partnerships. I think it's really around, you know, being able to, you know, categorize yourself and really understand what risk are you willing to take, right? Uh, how risk averse are you? How not, not risk averse are you? I think is something that we all have to essentially uh, inquire and kind of be self-aware about. But I think, you know, when thinking about, you know, making decisions on behalf of, you know, any organization that I'm a part of, it's, it's really around being as calculated as possible. Now, of course, you know, a lot of, you know, the biggest bets, right, whether we're talking SpaceX, right, whether we're talking, you know, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, creating the iPhone, right, these are, you know, very calculated risks, but if you are to really ask these individuals, right, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, they would tell you that, that they have calculated most of the risks, right? They would tell you that it's not actually a big of risk, a big of a risk as you would actually think, you know, from the outside looking in, right? But of course, you know, this person is comfortable, right? This is the normal for them of, of what they're willing to do to achieve whatever goal it is that they have uh, that they would like to, to see through. And I think for me, you know, kind of understanding and going back to, you know, those questions I, I said before, you know, understanding your why, right? Uh, understanding your purpose, right? And, and what you essentially want to do um, is something that I, I've thought deeply about um, and continuously, you know, think uh, about, uh, you know, throughout, throughout my life. But, you know, I would say even the, the move of, uh, you know, upending my life and leaving Wall Street to come work, you know, on the other side of the pond, you know, was a very large risk, right? I understood the outcome that I wanted to, to achieve. But at the end of the day, I also understood that, you know, win, lose, or draw, I would be learning throughout that experience um, and that those learnings would be, you know, invaluable, you know, for, for me, you know, going forward. And I would also be able to learn a lot about myself, right? And so even when thinking about, you know, how I take, 
you know, decisions or make decisions, you know, at Fixa, you know, on a day-to-day level, it's still kind of integrating a lot of those things that I, I just kind of walk you through from my own personal perspective on, on how I view risk, man. So it's, it's really about, you know, understanding what your own risk tolerance is and, and then understanding, you know, what is the goal that we want to achieve and what's maybe the, the, the best, most efficient way to get there. And of course, you know, even, you know, for someone like yourself that, you know, when we do take risk in life, right, it's only after the fact that we're able to essentially connect the dots and see, you know, how that leap of faith, uh, you know, kind of uh, all makes sense at the end of the day, right? Whether you made new connections, right? Whether you're able to learn about yourself, the world, people around you, um, you always are able to learn something at the, at the other end of it. So I think, you know, whether it's, you know, personally speaking or professionally, it's all about, you know, kind of calculating all those things and, and then going about it in the most logical way. Oh, uh, that's very profound. Um, just because I did have a conversation that was interesting about this recently um, when I was discussing the education system that um, I don't know if it applies to the entire world, but particularly in Africa, um, just because in uh, the education system that we're exposed to, we are taught to be very risk averse and to be sort of um, conformists in the way that we think because um, there's this perceived high cost of failure, socially speaking. And uh, uh, so people really craft their identities around trying to, um, you know, avoid that that cost of failure, um, socially speaking. So if you do um, actually take action to uh, take risks and jump into, in, into uncertainty, you're actually, you know, a contrarian and you're, you're going against the grain, which, which is scary because I myself have done a few uh, relatively <laughs> contrarian, controversial things, especially in my context as an uh, African child. Uh, one of which, you know, was I, I did leave med school um, which was pretty controversial. And at the time, I didn't even know what exactly I wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But I knew that I wanted to um, sort of, the difference I wanted to make in life wasn't going to be made as a doctor. Um, so entrepreneurship, technology eventually found me. I had a brief stint as a filmmaker so uh, like you I have had a lot of uh, interesting things in my past that just stand out um, sure, sure. and yeah so uh, but the, the core of it is action is character so um, mm. that's that's something that I, I really go back to a lot just because that's a screenwriting rule so at any time you're writing a script um, you have to express your character through action. And that really taught me about myself and just people in general, is that the things you do actually do define who you are. And um, I think that um, what you guys are doing at Fixer is really amazing. And um, the the talent that I've seen, um, especially considering the, the the scale of the problem you're trying to solve is really inspiring. And I'd like to thank you for sharing that story. Now, on this podcast, we have um, sort of a traditional final question 
uh, where we ask um, our guests, what kind of world do you hope to create through your entrepreneurial endeavors? Yeah, man. Well, first off, thank you for sharing your own, you know, experiences. And I would like to just, you know, congratulate you and, um, you know, give you your own kudos for a second, because, you know, I think you're right. You know, when you speak about, you know, risk uh, being, you know, equal to contrarian thinking. Um, and I think, you know, it's evident to say um, that you have taken risk right in your life. And, and I hope that you're now in a position to kind of look back on, you know, some of those leaps of faith that you took and, uh, you know, you're, you're better for it, you know, if you will. But I also, you know, think I picked up on something, you know, that you also talked about, um, which is this aspect of intuition as well, right? This aspect of being in tune uh, with what, you know, your purpose really is. And I, I think, you know, your gut, you know, will always lead you in the right direction, right? Now, of course, you know, I think there's you know, a number of things that you can do to be able to be in tune and, and to be able to hear that more clearly. But, you know, that level of just understanding and, and, and trusting in, you know, your heart uh, is, is really powerful. And it sounds like that's something that, that you can attest to as well. So I really wanted to just, you know, give you, uh, you know, your own kudos and, and say thank you for sharing that as well. All right. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, just on the intuition um, point that you made, you know, Steve Jobs did take LSD. I'm not hinting at anyone. <laughs> <laughs> No comment, no comment. <laughs> no comments, but that's just a fact of the He did it once, apparently. So, yeah, as we go on to the last question, uh, so what kind of world do you hope to create through your entrepreneurial endeavors? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, this really goes back to, you know, this, um, you know, insight that I had while I was working in South Africa for Yoko. It's really around, you know, why am I here, right? What, what is my purpose and, and what am I here to do? And I think, you know, it's, it's come to a point where I realized that I'm here to be of service, um, especially, you know, uh, of service to those that might not be as privileged as I am. You know, I think I'm, you know, self-aware enough to know that I'm not the smartest guy, right? I'm not the, you know, fastest, tallest person, but, you know, uh, because of, you know, certain circumstances um, and things that are, you know, not in my control that I had, you know, a particular uh, start in life that not other people, you know, have access to. So I think, you know, with that, you know, I, I, I want to just give back, right, as much as I can and to allow people to have opportunity, to allow people to fulfill their dreams, their passions, uh, regardless of what that is, uh, what that may look like. Um, you know, I think for me, it's really around, you know, providing those avenues for others um, to fulfill what it is that they're passionate about. And, you know, I think what I'm doing right now is really allowing for individuals in the informal economy, you know, to get access to the formal economy, right. And to get access uh, to career uh, that they would like to pursue, but, you know, it goes even further than that. And I hope to one day even uh, continue making this impact through a number of different, you know, avenues. But uh, for me, you know, it really does come back to, you know, just being of service to those that are, um, you know, around the world. Well, that is an amazing mission and worldview. And I'd like to thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing that story. Uh, I wish you and all um, your people at Fixer the best as you tackle this very large and pressing problem. And I certainly hope 
to see you succeed more and more. Max, it was a pleasure to be connected and thank you so much for having me on. Uh, looking forward to seeing what you also uh, continue to produce with the podcast. And uh, it was a pleasure, man. I know exactly what you're thinking. What a great episode. Jansen was a fantastic guest. I learned so much from him and I hope that you did too. Uh, feel free to engage with us on any of our social media platforms. The link is in the description. And I hope you all have a fantastic week. <laughs>